If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. When patients visited the DaVita Clinic in Lufkin, Texas, they were expecting to receive life-saving dialysis treatments to help with their health conditions. Instead, many of them were preyed upon by the very person who was supposed to be helping them. How were they to know their nurse was actually a serial killer? This is Monsters. Kimberly Clark Fowler was born on November 3, 1973, in Fall River, Massachusetts. She was known as Kim to friends and family, and by all accounts, she was a happy and social child. As a teenager, her family moved to Lufkin in Texas, where Kim attended Central High School. Kim did well both in her classes and was a keen member of a number of sports teams. She played high school softball and was a popular cheerleader. Everyone expected that she would graduate from high school and head off to college. But in her junior year, Kim found out she was pregnant with her high school boyfriend's baby. His name was Mark Kevin Sains, who went by his middle name, Kevin. When their son was born, Kim dropped out of school while Kevin stayed to finish his senior year. After graduation, he took up a number of jobs to support the family. A few years later, when their son was settled into pre-kindergarten, Kim decided she was ready to go back to school and complete her education. She gained her high school diploma and enrolled in Angelina College in Lufkin to complete her vocational nursing training. When she graduated with her nursing license, Kim was quickly offered employment with a local hospital. She seemed to do well there, with patients saying she was a lovely nurse who was talkative and cheerful. With her career on track, Kim married Kevin and changed her last name to Sains. Soon after getting married, she fell pregnant with the couple's second child, this time a daughter. Outwardly, everything looked to be going well for Kim and her husband. They were high school sweethearts with two young children, and now they had two incomes with which to support their family. They were both active members of their church and dedicated parents, with Kim taking the lead on pickups and drop-offs amongst her work schedule. She was known as a hands-on mom and she attended all of the children's sports games and out-of-school activities. But inside the Saints' home, tensions were high and Kim and Kevin's high school romance was souring. Starting in 2006, when their youngest child was just four years old, Police and Lufkin began receiving regular callouts to the Sains household. The callouts were related to domestic disturbances, and in almost every incident, the perpetrator of the violence was Kim. In 2007, one of these incidents resulted in Kim being arrested for assault and family violence. 
After a fight where Kim had gotten violent, Kevin left the family home and drove to his mother's house to get away from her. Despite having consumed alcohol that day, Kim followed him and tried to carry on her attack. When she showed up hollering and slurring, Kevin called the police. When officers turned up at Kevin's mom's home, they noticed that Kim's eyes were glassy and she had trouble answering their questions. They also noticed that she wasn't steady on her feet and was stumbling as she walked. Initially, they thought Kim was only drunk, but when they pressed further, she admitted she had been drinking as well as taking Cymbalta. Cymbalta is an antidepressant medication which on its own doesn't usually cause any of the side effects Kim was demonstrating. But when the medication is used with alcohol, it can cause dizziness and nausea. Ironically, when you combine the two, it can actually worsen symptoms of depression. Given that Kim was a nurse, she was aware of what could happen when combining Cymbalta and alcohol and she told officers she knew that it made her dizzy. Right after admitting that to the officers, she admitted that she had driven her car while feeling these effects. After that, she was arrested for public intoxication. She was also issued a criminal trespass warrant which required her to leave Kevin alone and stay away from his mother's house. In 2007, not long after Kim was arrested for family violence, Kevin filed for divorce. It was around this time that Kim's boss at Woodland Heights Hospital began to notice a discrepancy in their drug counts. When they investigated the matter, they found that Kim had been on shift at the times when their stock of Demerol had mysteriously been adjusted. Demerol is also known as pethidine and is a narcotic-level opiate which is highly addictive. The hospital required Kim to take a urine test to detect if there were opiates in her system. While she was taking the test, the administrator noticed Kim was acting strangely. When she came around the curtain to see what was happening, she found Kim trying to cheat the test. This prompted the managers of the facility to undertake a search of her personal belongings. In her handbag, they found some of the missing medication and she was fired on the spot. It would later be revealed that this was in fact Kim's fourth termination from a healthcare position. None of Kim's previous employers had bothered to inform anyone about what Kim was up to when she was employed with them. Despite threatening to suspend her license, none of the employers who had terminated Kim had advised the nursing board about her Demerol addiction or any concerns about how it might affect her practice or patient safety. This meant Kim was free to take up another position without consequences, which she did. In late 2007, Kim applied for a position at the DaVita Dialysis Clinic in Lufkin. Despite the clear gaps in her employment record and unusually short stints at her previous jobs, she was offered a position. Nine months later, it would be revealed that from day one, she had been using her new position to murder patients. Even before Kim's murder spree was discovered, the dialysis clinic knew something was wrong. Dialysis is the process of removing toxins from the body using machines and it's offered to patients when their kidneys are unable to function correctly. The types of illnesses which could affect kidney function range from cancers to renal failure and diabetes. Dialysis is an inherently risky procedure as it involves removing blood from the body, cleaning it, and then putting it back into the patient. 
Anytime something is introduced to the body, it carries the risk of infection, even if the blood came from that person in the first place. Patients receiving dialysis require constant monitoring to make sure that the machines don't remove too much of a specific mineral which could affect other parts of the body. For that reason, patients will attend a dialysis clinic where nurses and health professionals monitor their vital signs until the treatment is finished. Dialysis usually takes three or four hours per session, and many patients will receive the treatment multiple times each week. Despite the risks, the number of patients who suffer a severe reaction to dialysis is extremely low. Some will experience a drop in their blood pressure during the process, and many will feel tired after their treatment. These are both considered common side effects, which require a minor intervention. So when the management of the DaVita clinic noticed a sharp increase in their patients falling seriously ill during treatment, they knew something was wrong. In just one month in 2008, paramedics had been called to the clinic to support seriously ill patients more than 30 times. That was double the number of times they had been called out in the previous 12 months combined. Most of the callouts for paramedics were related to cardiac arrest, but there was something else strange about the callouts. Many of them were repeated calls about the same patients. One such patient was Thelma Metcalf. Thelma had been attending the clinic for years, and she had never had a negative reaction to the treatment until Kim started working there. Over a period of just a few months, she was taken to the emergency room five times. Each time, she was found to have been administered too much blood thinner during her treatment, which drastically increased her risk of going into cardiac arrest. Each time she had a problem during her treatment, she was taken to the hospital, giving treatment for the cardiac arrest, and returned to the clinic. But Thelma wasn't the only patient having unexpected trouble with her heart. Over the preceding months, their patients had been dying at an alarming rate. On April 1st, 2008, two patients died in one day, including Thelma. After that, the management of the DaVita Clinic knew they needed to step in and find out exactly what was going on. The clinic arranged for their leading clinical coordinator, Amy Clinton, to spend some time working alongside the staff at the facility. Just one day after Thelma's death, she arrived at the clinic to begin observing staff while they worked. She watched closely as they administered medication and put patients on and off the machines. After two weeks, Amy found no signs of anything untoward. She had adjusted a couple of internal procedures and ordered some new machines, but neither of these issues was considered the cause of why their previously stable patients were dying in such unusually high numbers. In fact, the deaths and cardiac arrests continued to occur while Amy was still supervising the clinic. On April 16th, there were two incidents in one day yet again. In one, the patient lost consciousness during treatment and another suffered a cardiac arrest which they subsequently died from. Six days later, on April 22nd, it happened again and then again the following day. By then, the deaths had accelerated to a crisis point and the paramedics who had noticed the sharp increase in callouts notified their superiors that they felt something terribly wrong was going on at the clinic. One of these superiors wrote to state health inspectors and asked them to investigate the clinic. 
On April 26th, another regular patient at the clinic died from cardiac arrest while a patient sitting nearby experienced a number of inexplicable symptoms during their dialysis. The next shift that Kim worked was on April 28, 2008. That morning, she arrived at the clinic at about 4.30 a.m. and began setting up for the day. Kim had been employed by the clinic as a licensed vocational nurse, which gave her the authority to administer medications directly to patients. These medications could be iron or blood thinners or other drugs required to keep the patients stable during their treatment. However, sometimes Kim would show up for work and the clinic would advise her that that shift she needed to perform the role of a patient care technician. Patient care technicians, or techs as they were referred to, are the ones who monitor vital signs and ensure that patients are comfortable during their treatment. Techs do not have the same level of responsibility or authority as nurses. Patients attending a morning session at the clinic were required to be in their chairs by 5.30 a.m. After sitting down, they would be tested to ensure their blood levels were correct and then given their pre-dialysis medications by the nurse. When the preparation was complete, the patients would be connected to the machine and begin their treatment under the watchful eye of the techs. On that particular April morning, Kim was advised that she was needed as a tech for the shift. When she was told, she appeared upset by the change and became teary-eyed, but with patients beginning to arrive, she had little choice but to do what she was told and get to work. One of the patients that day was Linda Hall. She arrived early at around 5.15 a.m. for her treatment and sat in her usual recliner located in the corner of the clinic. She enjoyed that spot as it was perfect for observing the comings and goings at the clinic as well as for seeing the television which was set up to help pass the time. She was positioned alongside another regular at the clinic, Lurleen Hamilton. Linda had never experienced any side effects from her treatment, so she would arrive early, get connected to the machine, and sit back with her headphones on and watch TV until it was all over. Linda had been attending the DaVita Clinic three times a week for almost two years for dialysis, which she needed since her diabetes had caused kidney failure. Above all of her health issues, Linda was also a devoted mother and grandmother. Given her experience at the clinic, she was familiar with the protocols and procedures that the nurses and techs would follow for each patient. Over time, Linda developed an affinity for the staff, and in particular, Kim. It was an odd pairing as Kim and Linda didn't appear to have much in common. Kim was a mid-30s mom of two while Linda was a mid-50s grandmother, but they bonded over their shared faith in the Lord and Linda always appreciated that Kim was kind and chatty during her long treatments. On top of that, Kim was particularly skilled with a needle and the patients appreciated that when Kim was in charge of sticking them, it didn't hurt as much. Ironically, it was Kim's affinity with a needle which would be her downfall. That day, Kim was assigned to care for Linda, just like so many times before. Except on this day, instead of watching TV, Linda and Lurleen watched a murderer go to work. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Less than a half an hour before Linda's dialysis was about to finish, two other patients in the room, Marva Roan and Carolyn Reisinger, began to show signs of a reaction to their treatments. Carolyn went into cardiac arrest, and while nurses rallied around to administer help, Loraline was trying to get the attention of a staff member to tell them something was wrong. She told the tech that she had seen something bad happen, and when Linda heard the raised voice of her usually quiet neighbor, she told the tech that she had seen something strange as well. While Marva and Carolyn were taken to the hospital for life-saving treatment, the supervisor who had been brought in to identify what was causing patients to die at such high rates spoke with both Linda and Lorleen. Amy listened as the women told her what they had seen. So she gave you the blood pressure checks and set you down. What next? And then she cleaned my arm and put the needles in to start my, and she hooked me up to the machine to start my dialysis. And I put my earphones on to listen to the television and just sat back in my seat. And sometimes you might close your eyes, you know, but most of the time I didn't sleep. I would just sit back and just watch television until my, my treatment was over. After that, well, I just sat there and I was watching television and I don't know what time it was, but uh, I just went to noticing Kim. Kim, she just went to act just real fidgety. And I, I just said to myself, I wonder what's wrong with Kim. And in a few minutes, she just kept on just from side to side and then and then she went to looking all around her, and then she, I guess, well, she just went to looking all around, and then she opened the drawer, this drawer right over here, and and took a syringe out of it. And then she took the uh she took it and she held it down beside her, and she looked around, and uh, she didn't see anyone, so. She opened it up and took it out of the paper and dropped the paper in the trash can that sits right down on the right-hand side of her. And then she stuck the syringe in her pocket. And that's what really made me start paying attention to her because I was wondering why it was like she was being secretive doing it. And she went, after she stuck the syringe in her pocket, she got the, uh, she walked down the side of this aisle, right here up to the, about the middle ways of the workstation, there's a container that they fix bleach water in to watch the seats down after each patient leaves. She looked back and would look to the side of her, and it's like nobody was watching her. So she took it and slid it down to the end of the workstation right here, right there to the corner. Then she looked and nobody was watching and she put it down on the floor. She raised back up and looked around like that and then she took the syringe out of her pocket and, and squat down. And you could see her pulling back on the syringe, filling it up. Then she raised up, she put it in her pocket, 
when she looked around and nobody, she picked a container up and set it back up there. And then in a few minutes, she slid it back down to the other, to about middle ways of the workstation. She walked over across to Ms. Rohn's seat and she took the syringe out of her pocket and she just injected the, the solution in Ms. Rohn's IV. And then she came back to the workstation and she just kept looking at Ms. Rohn. And then in a few minutes, well, Ms. Rohn is sitting right here. Then it's another patient right here in the other corner. She was asleep. Instead of, she didn't, Kim, what it really aroused me because Kim, whenever a nurse puts anything in your IV, they write it, they put it on the computer. Kim did not do that. And she came back to the workstation. And then in a few minutes, what Dale was going on giving the medication, then it's a vacutainer at each station, at each patient station. Kim went and put the syringe in the vacutainer belonging to the other patient instead of dropping it in Ms. Rohn's. And that aroused my suspicion. I said, now I wonder why would she just drop it in Ms. Rohn's vacutainer instead of going and putting it in the patient's right next to her. And to, I just felt like something was wrong. After Linda watched Kim drop bleach into a syringe and then inject it into a patient on the other side of the room, she wasn't sure what to do. She questioned herself. Had she really seen what she thought she saw? And if she had, what should she do about it? Because I said, my gosh, am I imagining this? I know I wasn't asleep. And I just said to myself, am I imagining this? Is this actually happen happening? Then and I said, my goodness, Kim did something. She put something in that woman's IV. All right. And then you heard Miss Hamilton speak first. Yes. Do you remember who it was she spoke to? I, I know her face, but a lot of them, I know they had some new employees that had just started. I knew a lot of them's faces, but I didn't actually know their names. To, but uh, when she went to Miss Hamilton... And uh, Miss Hamilton was talking so loud till I, I said, is Miss Hamilton all right? Because, I, I mean, I try to I tr keep everybody's interest. You know, I, I'd be interested in how everybody is doing. So Miss Hamilton's, um, when she spoke out, it, it, uh, it sounded like she was concerned? Yes. The way she was speaking, it was, you know, it was something going wrong. And that's what made me ask the nurse, was Miss Hamilton all right? And she said, well, Miss Hamilton said she just saw the nurse doing something she didn't have no business. And I said, oh, my God, thank you, Jesus. I just saw the same thing. All right. Lurleen told the same story, except she had seen Kim inject bleach directly into two patients, not just Marva. Lurleen had watched Kim put something into both Marva's and Carolyn's IV lines. After hearing what they had to say, Amy shut down the clinic and notified her superiors and the health department about what she had been told. The following day, all of the employees working at the DeVita clinic were called into a mandatory meeting. Everyone except for Kim. She was attending an altogether different kind of meeting at the local police station. 
The detectives involved in the investigation asked Kim to describe her position and her work at the DeVita Clinic. Instead, she told them all about how she was scared to go to work because of recent changes in their procedures and the number of patients who were dying or being sent to the hospital. And the first, I don't know, six or eight months, it was going fine. And um, I don't know, these last months, I'm just scared to go to work, to be honest with you. I mean, because they can't tell us what's going on, and um, I'm doing everything by the book. And I'm scared because I have a license, and I'm scared if I do something, then I've lost my license, you know. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, okay. Um, Well, when we get there, you know, um, there's procedures. The past four or five months, or three or four months, there's been new procedures. Used to, we, and it's okay for me to call, talking to you, right? Yes. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Um, The last, um, I've been there nine months, um, and when I started, we didn't, you know, wear the um, the gowns, you know, and the mask and everything like that. And certain ways people were taught to be put on, uh, no matter what their blood pressure was, you know, you just you put them on. And we had a lot of code, a lot of people complaining of chest pain, you know, trying to get fluid off. And... So then they decided they would have a nurse that would just go around and monitor blood pressures. And um, the the anxiety in that clinic was just, and I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just, um, and I know we're all new, except for a couple of people. And I'd never done dialysis before in my life. I'd worked at Willen Heights, Heights and I'd done med surge. And, um, and a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to do dialysis, and I enjoyed it in uh, med surge, you know, the nursing, um, when you go through school, and I enjoyed the med surge, and it took me a little while to do the fistulas and the candles, you know, they're not all up here in the ports, and there's certain ways you have to do things, and I have noticed lately that there's been a lot of sloppiness. And that's six inches from that person's heart. And uh, I would just like to, if I'm going to put a catheter on, I want to draw all my meds so I know where they're coming from. I don't want to shoot something up there that I don't know what it is, because that's just right there at the heart. And if you do it, then, you know, it. it and they, so they, they you know, they, they reduced the, they reduced, uh, the machines and everything, and it seemed to be going all right, but there's just been bleeding and bleeding and... They asked her again to describe how procedures work at the clinic, to which Kim then briefly attempted to explain dialysis before naming something both Linda and Lurleen had mentioned the day before. Bleach. So, um, I don't know if you know all the if ands and bouts about what you can do and um, and dialysis, but you have to have, okay, you get machine ready up, and that takes a good 15 minutes, and you know who your patient is, and you know where your graft is, and you get it all ready, and the, di- the dialyzer 
it has renalin in it and it's got to be circulated, you know, because if they get a renal infusion, well, then they're off to the hospital. You know, it's like bleach. Bleach. So we had that, and then we just had so many chest pains that I just don't understand. And they said that we've had so many deaths in the past seven months. I mean, April, and it's just scary, and I'm scared to leave my patients, uh, you know. I'm just constantly, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? In fact, Kim mentioned bleach more than 20 times in her interview, and each time she tried to downplay its use as standard procedure. Bleach was used to clean the machines and equipment in the clinic, but there is no situation in which it would be used directly on a patient. Besides that, the way Kim described its use just wasn't making sense. She was the one who brought up that the bleach cleaning procedure might be contributing to the strange adverse effects occurring at the clinic. If our machines are hooked up and they have some bleach in them, I, you know, I haven't researched into that, but I just have to wonder what kind of reactions would have happened if there was some machines, some bleach machines, you know, not clear. I know you bleach them every week. What do you mean you bleach them every week? But um, on Thursdays, all the machines have to be hooked up to this big bleach bottle, and they have to go through, and they have to go for like 25 minutes. And um, when it's done, you take your bleach bottle out of it. And to me, when I get there in the morning, if I know it's, it's Thursdays or bleach days, so when I get there in the morning, I just check, there's a little, you know, uh, spout thing. And you can spout it and check for chlorine because, I, you know, I just don't. You just don't think they'd have got it out? Well, I don't know. I just don't. I know they bleach the route of the, you might have, they bleach the loop. And maybe that comes all out. I don't know. I just have a habit of pushing the bleach because I just, I don't know when it was last on and I don't want to kill my patients. Except that's exactly what she was doing. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She repeatedly commented on how scared she was for her patients because of the recent deaths and suggested some alternate theories as to what was going on. I have good patients that they come on. They're cheerful. They know they're here. They know they're here for... Um, you know, we're just trying to help them feel better. And, um, and it makes you feel better at the end of the day. But when you have codes after codes, it's just frustrating. And you're like, you lose your mindset a lot. Okay, where am I? Where do I group at? So, and, um, I really thought that dialysis is what I wanted to do. But I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's in the water system. I don't know if it's in... Have they been checking all that? 
Yeah, that's what they said. But I know that every day they have to do a, a, a police loop through the whole thing. Then she repeated how she would want to know if she was doing something wrong. I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm doing everything in the power I can. And I've been looking up on the inner line, like, what am I doing wrong? Uh, maybe try not injecting your patients with bleach. Eventually, the detectives had had enough of her overly detailed but ambiguous explanations, and they asked Kim directly about when she had last gone to work. This interview was just one day after the incident Linda and Lurleen had witnessed. Despite having answers ready for all the other questions, when it came time to answer a fairly straightforward question, Kim struggled to answer it. When was the last time you were at work? Tuesday. What's today? Today's Monday. Today's, Today's Tuesday. Tuesday. Today's Tuesday? Mm -hmm. Okay. My minds are all running together. Okay, Tuesday, yeah. Okay, so the last time you were at work was... What day? Monday. No, Monday was my last day at work. Okay. I remembered on my schedule. Okay. Was there, that was yesterday, right? She had plenty to say about what was going wrong on the unit, but couldn't answer a simple question about when she had last been at work, even though it was the day before. Red flag. When they finally established she had worked the day prior, they asked her what had happened during that shift. Did anything happen yesterday out of the ordinary? The only thing I noticed, like on my side and Christy's side, Miss Rohn's Venus chaper was cutting off. I mean, it had big cuts in it. And I asked her if she felt okay. She said okay. So I gave her a little bit of saline to try to get that. It was like a monstrous cut in there. I don't know if it had to do with our changes or our heparins or because we did change our heparins. And uh, that one, and let's see, tomorrow didn't seem to be an you know. What, was your, what were you assigned to work yesterday? I was assigned to work at the med search, uh -huh. but when uh, Tammy Watts didn't come in, she had four shifts of patients, four, you know, four, yeah. and yeah. She had four shifts, mm -hmm. so I picked up her shifts. Okay. What did that mean when you picked up her shifts? What did that change your responsibilities to them? Well, I couldn't do any meds. Mm -hmm. And since they decreased their, um, the, um, the bolus, the infusion, it was like five, five, so we just kind of, Every time we did a vial sign, we had to add a little bit more saline to keep it from clotting. Except giving saline wasn't all she did. Kim was giving her patients shots of bleach straight into their IV line. When asked if anything stood out about the day, she simply stated, But what hurts me the most is for two patients to accuse me of giving uh, another patient medication that was not ordered and that just 
that's been something that's really irritated all day. I was just crying earlier, and I was like, I mean, it's my license. If I do something like that, I can't do something like that. What did you give? Give her anything? I did give her some saline, only because she said she was cramping. She reiterated that she had been acting as a tech the day before and that she wasn't giving patients any medications. I didn't do any meds. And I guess my patients, they come here and they want to be dialyzed and they want to get out. And I don't know what's going on here. And it's just scary. (laughs) And if I'm doing something wrong, I want to know that I know I'm something wrong because I don't want to kill somebody. Except you were killing people. Lots of vulnerable people who came to the clinic for life-preserving treatments. When she was asked about using syringes during the shift, she gave yet another rambling and confusing explanation. It's just very frustrating because I've been here nine months and I think I know what to do. But I sure as heck don't want lives hanging on my shoulders and my license. Okay. Would there be a cause or a reason or necessity or anything like that for anyone to use a syringe to draw bleach up into? No. There should be two of the um, two cc's up there. And if there's not any, you could draw, you can draw your TCC up there and shoot it into your uh you only get 10 cc's you know for your bleach solution so you could call it up there and that's what i did i just go up there and put my 10 cc's in there and i put my uh, washcloths in there okay you put your 10 cc's of bleach Mm-hmm. In what? They're in a plastic, um, I don't know, I guess they're about like this. Mm-hmm. Then you put your, your rags in them. And they should be 1 to 100. And then you pour water. There'll, there'll be a 1 to 1,000 mark. You pour your water up to that. And so when your patient shift goes off, you clean them all off. Now, the clean clamps, that's something new. But your clean clamps are supposed to be on the other side with a 1 to 10 bleach and let it sit there in case bleach gets on the bleach that were on the machines. I'm a little bit confused, so maybe you can help clarify this. <clears throat> do, you, have you, do you use a syringe to, to pull your 10 cc's of bleach up? Sometimes I do when I can't find a uh, uh, the little medicines cups. Mm-hmm. They used to be in that trunk door. There weren't any in there. But I did it at the back. Mm-hmm. A little 2ml cup. You fill it with bleach and then you threw. You put one 1,000 bleach in there. And then you put your clean clamps in there. Okay. Did you do that yesterday at all? Did you draw any bleach up in a syringe? I drew, um, I had two that I went back there for, put the two MLs, whatever, in there, and I set the clamp, and I set um, 
I bleach. So then I put my rags in my bleach and I put my clean clamps. You, you used a syringe to put bleach in there? With your water? With my water? Yeah. See, my, I didn't have a, um, oh, well, those two MLs. Mm -hmm. So I went to the back. I got a 10cc syringe because I couldn't find any more of those little yellow things. And I pulled up my 10cc syringe and I dumped it out. And I poured that much in there and I turned it off. So I took my bleach and I just poured it in there and then I pulled up to 10c because I knew that would be like 10 ml. Were you near any patients when all this happened? Um, they were on the machines. Okay, where were you at? I was, okay, like, I was right here. There was one, two, three, four patients here. And I told Angie I had, and Angie had these four. And I asked Angie, I said, what do we do with these clamps? She said, just go and get some bleach. I grabbed a syringe out of the med cabinet and I drew up that syringe. And then I just put it in there. If you found that explanation confusing, you're not the only one. Regardless of her attempts to befuddle the detectives, Kim had admitted she used syringes the previous day. DeVita would later confirm that the use of syringes for cleaning equipment at the clinic was against their corporate policy. Finally, the detectives asked Kim whether she had taken the bleach-filled syringes near any of the patients the previous day. Brace for another rambling explanation. Did you ever go over to any patients with any syringes in your hands? No. While you were adjusting the saline over their seat, you know, just checking on them or anything like that, did you ever have any syringes in your hand or? No, because I wasn't doing meds that day. And I know when Angie left to go on break, Miss uh, Rones and Miss uh, Dickerson, they were right there. Their air, they, the arterial pressure came coming up and the, the venous cap, and it looked like she had a um, clot in there, but that was because we wouldn't use musk clots at all. And so I rent some saline into Miss uh, Rones to see you know, maybe it was just clotting off because the pressures were high. And then Miss Dickerson, she said she was cramping, so I gave her a little bit. Um, and then the only thing is, I was trying to chart on my patients, and Mr. Reisinger, he called me over there and he said, will you come take her off? I wasn't her, you know, teammate, but, um, she gets mad, he gets mad when she's not with certain people. And so she had said she'd start having chest pains. So it's just been really frustrating. Finally, they asked her what she thought might be going on. In amongst her answer, they found out one critical detail which would lead to the unraveling of the case. We're all trying to figure out you know, why there's been this sudden spike in events, uh, you know, over the past month or so. Do you have any theories or any ideas what's causing all this? 
Well, I know I'm new. I've only been here eight, eight months. But I just wonder about the blood pressures, you know, when they come in and they're really high. Um, it's just scary. I didn't know Dallas was going to be like this. Um, you know, the first few weeks, it, it, it seemed to go okay. You might have a bleeder or two, but having triage every day is just... <laughs> And I, you know, when I keep going over and over my head and my books and trying to figure out what have I done wrong. Okay. Have you been working on a lot of these people that have had problems? Uh, let's see. Miss Strange was the first one. I was doing CPR on her. And uh, let's see, Mr. Kelly, I was doing CPR on him. Miss Casanata. It turns out that when DeVita compared the records of the patients who had died recently from suspicious reactions, there was one common factor. They had come up with five names, including the two patients who Linda and Lurleen had watched be injected. Kim had been working on every shift when one of them died or was injured. Their records showed she wasn't always directly assigned to the patients, but was often covering for a colleague while they were on their break or responding to alarms on their machine right before they had their reaction. An epidemiologist from the Center for Disease Control would later corroborate DeVita's findings. Kim was the common denominator. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The day after her police interview, Kim was fired by DeVita. In January of 2009, she voluntarily surrendered her nursing license. When police executed a warrant at Kim and her parents' houses, they confiscated two laptops and two desktop computers believed to have been used by Kim. The state's forensic computer analyst revealed a search for quote-unquote bleach poisoning on the morning of April 2nd. This was just one day after Thelma and another patient had died during a single shift which had prompted DeVita to send a clinical supervisor to monitor the clinic. The computer analyst also found searches for bleach given during dialysis, can bleach be detected in dialysis lines, and dialysis patients' symptoms of bleach infusion, all of which had been carried out on May 3rd, 2008 four days after her interview with police after Lurleen and Linda watched her inject patients in the clinic. When Kim appeared before a grand jury, in her defense, she claimed she was a scapegoat for DeVita, who was trying to pin the blame on her to cover up for something they had done wrong. 
She claimed her colleagues were all aware that something was wrong with Davida, and they were all talking about it right up until the time of the incident which Linda and Lurleen had witnessed. She said, quote, I've been trying to rack my brain because I know I did not do what they're accusing me of doing. I know I did not do that. I would never inject bleach into a patient. I feel so railroaded. I feel like there's this big company and they need a way to get out of it, and I'm the scapegoat, and that is how I feel. When she was asked about the day in question, she asserted that she had heard a patient's alarm go off, which indicated there was a clot in the line. Rather than inject bleach, she had in fact been injecting saline to help the patient with a potential clot. The problem with her testimony is that there's no need to inject saline during dialysis. Do you recall her ever doing any of these sort of um, processes on you during, this, during the time she was your nurse of adding saline to your line or anything? No, you don't add saline to the line. You're already hooked up to the saline. It's a bag hanging up there, mm -hmm. and all she has to do is just unclamp it and let the saline run into you, but it's not something she has to administer with a syringe or anything. It just, she just unclamps it and it automatically flows into your bloodstream. It's a standard procedure during dialysis that patients are connected to a bag of saline. That way, if their blood pressure drops, saline can quickly be administered to bring the blood pressure back up to a safe range. Kim underestimated that any of the patients would know she was doing anything unusual. She was relying on them trusting her when she injected the bleach into two lines that day. What she didn't count on is that most of these patients had been on dialysis for years and they probably knew as much about it as Kim did, given how new Kim was to the profession. Just like during her police interview, when Kim was in front of the grand jury, she continued to speak without interruption for extended periods of time, often about things unrelated to the matter at hand. Ultimately, Kim was charged with five counts of aggravated assault for five separate individuals who had survived her attempts to murder them. Marva Roan, Carolyn Reisinger, Deborah Oates, Graciela Castaneda, and Marie Bradley. Then there was Clara Strange, Thelma Metcalf, Garland Kelly, Cora Bryant, and Opal Few, who had not been so lucky and had died as a result of Kim's actions. For these deaths, Kim was charged with one count of capital murder, which specified she had caused at least two of their deaths. In each of the allegations, she was charged with introducing sodium hypochlorite, commonly known as bleach, or another chlorinating agent into each victim's bloodstream. Investigators believed she was responsible for at least 10 deaths at Davida, but because medical waste had been removed from the facility two weeks before she was seen giving patients bleach in their IV lines, there was little evidence to indict her on any further murder charges. It had been exceedingly difficult for investigators to forensically prove that bleach was Kim's weapon of choice. This was because so little research had been done on how to detect bleach in human blood. During the investigation, an analytical chemist and bioterrorism expert was asked to test a number of samples that DeVita had provided from the recent suspected victims of Kim. The expert had been developing a test to measure chlorine in the blood by assessing the level of an amino acid named chlorotyrosine. This amino acid is formed when a person is exposed to a chlorinating agent such as bleach. 
Nine of the samples that were tested showed clear exposure to bleach. One sample showed levels 70 times higher than normal. For those that died due to Kim's actions, it was far from a pain-free and quick death. When bleach enters the bloodstream, it causes the red blood cells to explode. This rupture causes iron to leak into the blood plasma, which causes the heart to go into cardiac arrest. Even when life-saving interventions are administered, the blood is still damaged and the patient will likely die. In the case of one of Kim's victims, they survived for three months on life support before eventually passing away as the damage that the bleach had caused was irreparable. It took four years for Kim to face trial in March of 2012. Under Texas law, the prosecution does not have to prove a motive, but of course, everyone wanted to know what would prompt a nurse to kill. One theory is that Kim was angry because she thought the tech role was beneath her. She regularly told colleagues that the more senior drug administration role was much more suited to her than the menial tasks she was having to do as a tech. The day she was caught, Amy Clinton had advised Kim that she was going to be a tech for that shift. On the stand, Amy would recall how upset and teary Kim became when she had been told of her reassignment for the shift. She said, quote, You could tell she was upset. It was going to be a change. Amy was surprised when Kim was still upset about the change 20 minutes later, saying, quote, I was told I needed to talk to Kimberly because she was very upset. Amy also recalled what she had done immediately after being told what Linda and Lurleen had seen. She sequestered the lines used on each patient as well as their dialysis machines and the trays that had been used to drop the bleach. Amy also collected the sharps bins which Kim had been seen throwing the bleach syringes into. She tested the items and found the presence of bleach on all of them, confirming in her mind what the two women had told her. After that, she notified her superiors as well as the CDC and the Texas Department of Health. Investigators arrived that afternoon and shut the clinic down. Amy had also told Kim what the two witnesses said they had seen. Kim had gone on a break immediately after administering the bleach and she told Amy that she hadn't given any medications because she was a tech that day. Kim didn't take the stand during the trial, but her defense was about as rambling as her police statements. First, her lawyers claimed that DeVito was trying to cover up faulty procedures at the clinic and was using Kim as a scapegoat. I guess the two patients that witnessed the murder must be in on the conspiracy. Then they said that the clinic had toxic water, which had caused the medical events, something that could easily be tested and disproven, I would assume. Then, the timeline of events on April 28th was called into question, with the defense saying that Amy would have called the police sooner if she thought Kim had really done what the witnesses said. Then they blamed the medical incidents on some recalled blood-thinning medications, even though the clinic had never had any of the recalled drugs in stock. After all of that, they claimed that Kim had not received adequate training when she started working at the clinic. So nobody taught her not to inject bleach into the patients? I started working as a baker and nobody said not to put arsenic in the bagels. See how ridiculous that sounds? As for the prosecution, they called a number of Kim's ex-colleagues who all testified that it wasn't just the work at the clinic that Kim hated. She also seemed to have an aversion to particular patients. While many patients described Kim as friendly and chatty, others said she was cold and dismissive. 
Colleagues would later recall that she had specifically mentioned her dislike of a number of patients. All of the patients she had named had either died or were injured during treatments when Kim was on shift. Coincidence? After 17 days of testimony from 59 witnesses and almost 400 pieces of evidence, the jury found Kim guilty on three counts of aggravated assault for Marva Roan, Deborah Oates, and Marie Bradley. She was found not guilty on two counts of aggravated assault for Carolyn Reisinger and Graciela Castaneda. She was also found guilty of capital murder concerning the deaths of Clara Strange, Thelma Metcalf, Garland Kelly, Cora Bryant, and Opal Few. While the prosecution was seeking the death penalty, the jury assessed punishment at 20 years imprisonment for each count of aggravated assault and life in prison without parole for the capital murder charge. During the victim impact statements, Thelma Metcalf's daughter commented, quote, You are nothing more than a psychotic serial killer. I hope you burn in hell. On April 2, 2012, Kimberly Clark Sains was sentenced to five concurrent terms of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole, plus three consecutive 20-year sentences for the aggravated assaults. She will never be released. Three days after the sentence was handed down, Kim appealed her conviction citing 21 issues including lack of unanimity in the jury findings, insufficient evidence, ineffective assistance of counsel, improper exclusion of evidence, and improper admission of expert testimony. The appeal was denied. She subsequently appealed to the 12th Court of Appeals of Texas, which was also denied. If it hadn't been for Linda and Lurleen, Kim may have continued to kill patients. Sadly, we will never know exactly how many patients fell victim to her. Unfortunately, though, for many of the patients of the DaVita Clinic, the subsequent investigation had a terrible effect on their health. At the time, the DaVita Clinic was the only location many of them could access for their life-preserving dialysis. When Kim's actions were discovered, the clinic was shut down by the health department for two months, which meant Linda was unable to receive her three weekly dialysis sessions. Three days after seeing Kim attempt to murder Marva Roan, Linda was admitted to the intensive care unit for urgent dialysis. Though she survived the event, the effect on her long-term health from missing even two sessions could be devastating. I have to take a moment to point out that, despite Kim being the ultimate monster in this story, it would have never gotten as deadly as it had if the healthcare system operated differently. If medical facilities were required to document negative behavior from their staff, Kim wouldn't have continued moving on to new jobs with new patients where she had the opportunity to harm and even kill people who she was supposed to be caring for. People go into a medical facility in a state that makes them completely vulnerable and they trust that the facility has good people to care for them. Too many medical facilities know that an employee is not fit to work with patients, but they stay silent because they don't want that black mark on their record. That needs to change. Kim is a monster, but the healthcare system is not without blame. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. 
This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.